the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya. Hit subscribe. We'd love to have you with us every single day that we publish. Today, I want to do some second-level thinking with you about climate change, about fossil fuels, about nuclear energy. Alex Epstein is really at the forefront of this movement of fossil fuels being a good thing. Now, look, I am as conscientious about clean air, clean water as anybody. I recycle like there's no tomorrow. However, I also understand the importance of fossil fuels in everything we do every day. The fact that we have refrigerators, the fact that we have air conditioning, the fact that we have heating. Because I live in Minnesota, heating is very important to me. And I know that this can't really be accomplished well without fossil fuels. So we need to think a little bit deeper. I hope you come into this with an open mind and listen to this guy. He's got three books out, and the most recent has garnered some interesting reviews. Slate wrote, and this is Slate, keep that in mind, this new style of climate denial will make you wish the bad old days were back. That's Slate. Now we go to, this is Forbes, so a very, very different viewpoint. Alex Epstein's excellent and essential fossil future. So now you've got those two ends of the spectrum as far as reviews go. And then there's yet a third. And this book review comes from, um, I think this is on a gentleman on Substack. In my recent courses on energy policy, I like to explain that discussions of energy technologies can be a lot like discussions of sport. And he goes on to say that Alex Epstein makes a good point, but also fails in many ways. So there are three really interesting reviews of this book coming from all different directions. Let's hear from the author himself, someone that Cori Bush, a congresswoman from St. Louis, Missouri, recently called a so-called expert who is a white supremacist. He is anything but, and I'll let him tell you himself. He is Alex Epstein. He's next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Alex, welcome. You know, I grew up in Southern California. My dad was an aeronautical engineer and he was very much a an environmentalist. You know, he used to bring home blueprints from from his engineering lab, cut them up and staple them to cardboard. So we had pads of paper, which were the flip sides of the blue. He didn't want to go buy <laughs> new paper. We were always using <laughs> recycled paper. So I, I was raised in a very environmentally conscious envir- environment, not to use that word too many times. So we all want to conserve and 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 have clean energy and all the rest. But you are very much arguing in favor of fossil fuels. And I think when people first hear that, maybe they think, what do you mean? They're dirty. We've got to get rid of them. We've got to transition mm-hmm. to clean. So can you, in a nutshell, summarize 
what it is about fossil fuels you are a fan of. Yeah, and I think it's related to this issue of environment. And you sort of laughed because you used environment in different senses. But I actually think one of the keys to this whole issue is how you think of environment. And so I think of our environment from a human perspective, which doesn't mean that I don't care about the other things in our environment. I care about all of them, but I care about them from the perspective of how good is this world for what I would call human flourishing, for human beings to be able to live long, healthy, opportunity-filled, fulfilling lives. And so you think about, I think of everything in relation to that. Like, for example, I want to give my dog, I want to give him an unnaturally high chance of survival because it's part of me and my life, you know, my fiance and that kind of thing. Whereas the malarial mosquito, I want to kill that most of the time. I want to eradicate (laughs) it certainly in my area. And the polar bear, you know, I want to, I want it to exist because it's beautiful, but I want it to be cordoned off from me. And I think if, if this is very important because when people think of environment, they often think of it as something to save from human beings versus to improve for human beings. And I think of the world as a place to improve for human beings. And from that perspective, if you look at the world as a human environment, I think fossil fuels have been amazing for it and will continue to be amazing for the foreseeable future. And the main reason is that they help us overcome the basic problem of Earth as an environment, which is that it is a deficient and dangerous place. It's very low in usable resources. It's very high on natural threats. And so to overcome the deficiency and danger of nature, we need to be very, very productive, but we can only be productive with machines because those amplify and expand our productive abilities so we can be productive and prosperous. And we can only use machines to the extent we have what I call cost-effective energy. So energy that's affordable, reliable, versatile, able to power any type of machine and scalable to billions of people in thousands of places. The more cost-effective energy is, the more people can use machines to become productive and prosperous on this very inhospitable planet. When energy becomes non-cost-effective, which it is for billions of people today, in which it is increasingly becoming because of the opposition of fossil fuels, life is bad. So my basic argument is fossil fuels are a uniquely cost-effective source of energy in the present and for the foreseeable future. And actually, I think the world needs more of them. And even though they do have side effects, the benefits far, far outweigh any negative side effects. Well, that that's an interesting debate to get into. So what what do you see as the the most major side effects and the most fundamentally damaging side effects of fossil fuels? So I have a very different view on this than the mainstream view. So we can take my view and the mainstream view, because the mainstream view is definitely that <clears throat> whatever happens with air and water and that kind of thing is trivial compared to climate. The idea that we're having a warming impact and that is going to cause all sorts of weather that we can't deal with and that's going to overwhelm us. I mean, this is the thing the world is afraid of. This is why the world is against fossil fuels. I I can talk about why I don't think that's the biggest thing. I think the biggest thing is air pollution in certain areas where you don't use modern filtration technology. So you have certain areas of China, for example, with very, very high levels of pollution. And a lot of that is because they don't respect individual rights. And part of respecting individual rights is having laws against pollution. Um, But in terms of pollution, I think most of the world has realized we can cost effectively reduce it. It does not justify restricting fossil fuels significantly. What does in people's minds is the climate issue. So I'm happy to to comment on that because that's the thing people are really afraid of. They are. And and I was reading, you're, you're in a number of platforms. There are a number of ways to discover what Alex Epstein does, what he writes, what he thinks. And one of your arguments is about this 90% of scientists or 97 rather percent of scientists agree climate change is real and threatening and all the rest to which you say what? Yeah, I think that's a perfect encapsulation of how it's presented. So I'd say 
um, there are two problems with this claim. So one is it's when it says 97% of climate scientists agree, it's just talking about side effects of fossil fuels. So it says nothing about the benefits of fossil mm -hmm. fuels. So it's 97% agree, therefore we should do this anti-fossil fuel policy. But to do an anti-fossil fuel policy, you need to look not just at negative side effects, but benefits. That's just a basic rule of thinking that's unfortunately violated. It's especially important because as I show in my book, uh, Fossil Future, what you have is the benefits of fossil fuels include the ability to make ourselves safe from climate, what I call climate mastery. So we actually have a, a dramatic decline in the rate of death from climate disasters like storms and floods. People don't know this, but you're 150th as likely to die from a climate disaster as you used to be. So it's crazy. You can't look at the side effects of fossil fuels without the benefits because the benefits actually cure the side effects. And then if we look, the other problem with 97% is its account of the side effect is a total distortion because what they're trying to get you to believe is, as you indicated, is something like, well, it's dangerous or it's catastrophic. But all the 97% studies show at most is that we have some impact, that we've caused some percentage of the mm. one degree Celsius warming of the last 170 years, which has coincided with the greatest improvement in human life ever and the greatest decrease in climate danger ever. So even if we cause all of that, warming, that is not catastrophe. So ignoring the benefits and what I call catastrophizing the side effects, that is the key to why people think so incorrectly about this issue. And, and our, our thought leaders are really uh, culpable here. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. One of those thought leaders, I suppose she's a thought leader. She's in Congress. Her name is Cori Bush, and she was one of the people on the House Congressional Subcommittee on Energy. She introduced you or talked of you in a way that I think is worth playing for our listeners, because I think it was disrespectful. Um, it's a tactic I've seen used by many on the left, and that is to belittle people who are called in front of these committees. Uh, and I'm hoping John Berg, my producer, has it queued up. I want to play again. This is Cori Bush of Missouri, and she is <laughs> referring to you in this way. Let's go ahead and roll that sound. But my Republican colleagues have unironically invited for-profit think tank and oil titans whose expertise is in maximizing profits, especially at the expense of our black, our brown, and our indigenous neighbors' health, safety, and well-being. One of these so-called energy experts is a philosopher who has previously espoused white supremacist views. For instance, in his 2000 college newspaper, he wrote, quote, the African and American Studies Department has 23 classes. In many of these classes, African culture is presented not as inferior to Western culture, but as on equal footing with it. 
in other departments, the same is done with Latin American, Indian, and American Indian culture, end quote. When confronted about these views over two decades later, rather than disavow them, he doubled down on this narrative saying, quote, it has nothing to do with skin color. I was arguing that those cultures overall are inferior to Western culture. We are not inferior to any culture, speaking as a descendant of one of those cultures. This is the witness the Republicans invited to discuss issues of energy security. He came here to promote fossil fuels, which we know are disproportionately harming and killing black and brown people. All right. First of all, I want to take issue with that last comment. Fossil fuels are disproportionately killing black and brown people. This seems to be, again, uh, a strategy, a tactic uh, used by Democrats, really the left, I'll say, to vic- to portray as victims people of a different skin, people of any skin color that isn't white, uh, as being disproportionately affected by something in society that, and she painted you as a white supremacist. So uh, before we get into the attacks on you, what do you make of that statement, that fossil fuels disproportionately affect people of color? It's actually a perfect example of this this general problem, what I call ignoring the benefits and catastrophizing the side effects. Because you look at the, the overall reality is that if you want to say black and brown people are harmed by lack of fossil fuels, they're disproportionately harmed by lack of fossil fuels uh, insofar as they live in the poorest areas of the world. So you look at, say, sub-Saharan Africa, uh, it has very little energy used compared to the United States. And that is a direct cause of a low standard of living. Uh, you look at a place like India and you know you can call quote brown people and their life expectancy has skyrocketed thanks to the dramatic increase in the use of fossil fuels. I don't know what she can, you know, what she would call Asian people, but you look at how much Asia has prospered. It's directly using fossil fuels. So it's really, the key is that people are deprived of the benefits of fossil fuels. Now, the plausibility of her argument is she says, she's basically ignoring the benefits and she's saying, well, look, things like air pollution, well, those will disproportionately uh, affect certain communities. And there's a certain truth to that insofar as if you're poorer, all things being equal, you can afford to reduce pollution less. But the, the key is that the world needs more fossil fuels, including to be able to afford the cleanest ways of using them, so she just has it totally wrong, but this is a very conventional narrative that she's parroting. Well, the other conventional thing that she's parroting happened in another um, hearing that was going on the same week as yours, and it was the hearing uh, where Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger were presented as, quote-unquote, so-called journalists, both very high-achieving journalists for many, many years. You were just called a so-called philosopher and fossil fuels so-called expert. energy expert so-called yeah. energy expert an industry titan that was my favorite and i'm an <laughs> expert at maximizing profits which i, I there wish we, there we go well and and she accused you of these white supremacist viewpoints which you just basically explained but when you're hearing this did you know that kind of attack was coming yeah, it might be interesting for people to just put yourself in my shoes because I, I didn't know it was coming. And just imagine you're, you've are you been preparing to testify in front of Congress, and we didn't even say the subject. This was about the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and the Biden administration depleting it and why I was critical of that. So I was super prepared on that issue. Uh, I have the fortune of having a lot of experience being attacked, and I've been attacked specifically in this way because the Washington Post attempted a hit piece on me to basically cancel my book, which I was able to 
destroy their piece and to and to sell a ton of books actually and to really preempt it. Uh, but I, sort of, I'm sort of unusual in my ability to deal with these situations, even if I'm not expecting it. But it is a really horrific thing to do to a witness because if you are able to de- to like make a witness appear to be a racist, I mean that can destroy their whole career yeah. if they don't know how to address it. My colleague, or not my colleague, but another expert who was next to me, they tried to portray him as this industry shill, like oh you worked with the Koch brothers, you're evil. You know, like this is one of the leading experts in oil trading, and he basically created the Koch brothers trading platform and is a revolutionary in the industry. And they just tried to totally dismiss him. So it's. So fortunately, I know how to deal with these things. And I had heard this accusation. And the, the basic thing is, as I pointed out, Bush's, she refuted her own statement because she said, oh, he doubled down on this. And then he said it has nothing to do with skin color. I was arguing that certain cultures are overall inferior. And as I ex- explained, my argument was and is that individualism and freedom, which is what I was focused on, and reason, those are better than non-individualism, non-freedom and irrationality. And certain cultures have more individualism, freedom, and reason than others. And I specifically brought up the examples of female genital mutilation and slavery. And those are both, in my view, objectively inferior to non-female genital mutilation and non-slavery. And they don't have any answer to that. I mean, look, and also she's calling me a white supremacist. My background is Jewish. Does she think that white supremacists love Jews? And it's just, it's just, she's, Nobody is thinking about this at all. What they're just trying to do is avoid engaging my arguments, including my arguments on this issue, which if she listened to my arguments on skin color, it would actually help a lot because what we need is more individualism and less thinking of people as part of these skin color collectives and more as, as individuals. Right. All right. It's, it's, um, again, it's a, it's a tactic that is widely used and I, for me, I, I can I, I saw right through it as she said it to you, and I and I could see what she was trying to do. And I'm not saying that I think both sides are guilty of this to an extent, but this was this was just beyond the pale and disgusting, and all of it toward you and anyone else that was sitting there ready to testify with you. I just thought it was it was belittling. They were trying to make you look bad and probably trying to ruffle you before you testified, but clearly you weren't ruffled. And people can take some. Some an example in that, you know, the the aim of these people is to not engage, as you said, is to disparage you, belittle you and demean you and make you seem like you are so-called instead of what you actually are, which is an expert. We'll get into more of this. I want to talk nuclear energy with you and so much more. Alex Epstein, he's written three books, the most recent Fossil Future, why global human flourishing requires more oil, coal, and natural gas, gas, not less. Back in a second. So when you're on camera for most of the day of your life, you have to worry about what your skin looks like. And so that's why I'm very particular about my skincare products. And I use Genucel. I'm going to spell that for you. G-E-N-U-C-E-L. Remember that. Genucel.com slash Michelle to get 70% off. I'll tell you on what in a second. So I don't like to look tired. I like to look fresh and awake. And I kind of like to look younger than I am. That's what I try to do. So Genucel I use because it's an antioxidant-based skincare company. It's made right here in the United States. And it's formulated by a pharmacist with quality ingredients. Um, Their products are are what they do is they smooth out the fine lines and they stop new ones from forming. So one of my favorites is the deep firming serum. It's this, it's got stem cell technology. It's this little serum that you just, you don't even have to use very much at all, which is nice. It lasts a long time. 
dab it over your skin skin after your skin's been cleansed. And I use the deep sea cleanser, which is soap free, which is amazing. So this, this combination of products just instantly makes your skin feel fresh and toned and plump. Right now, like I said, 70% off Genucel's most popular package just in time for the warm spring weather. It features Genucel's Ultra Retinol that contains a powerful retinol alternative. It's safe on your skin in the summer sun because retinol can be tough. And Genucel's dark, dark Spot Corrector to reduce the appearance of dark marks and sunspots from long summer days outside. Plus, you'll still get Genucel's classic under-eye bags therapy for those annoying under-eye bags and puffiness. And with its immediate effects, see results results in as little as 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. Can't beat that. Don't wait. Visit genucel.com slash Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, Michelle with one L. Save over 70% off their most popular package. Plus on every order subscription, you get a luxury gift box with two free springtime essentials. That's two free gifts plus free concierge shipping for a limited time. Go to genucel.com slash Michelle, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Michelle with one L. So Alex, you're also the founder and president of the Center for Industrial Pro- Progress. That's a for-profit organization in San Diego, California. When, you know, usually we hear about non it's, it's actually Laguna Beach. We just have a fake address. In San oh, Diego, oh, okay. Laguna so I don't Beach. get bombed. Right. Oh, well, you know what? I don't know why you just said Laguna Beach then. Maybe Orange County. How about that? No problem. <laughs> um, nuclear energy. This to me is now you you have said we've actually sort of criminalized it. What do you mean by that? If you look at the trajectory of nuclear in the late sixties and early seventies, this was a great technology that was really taking America and to some extent the world by storm. But most people don't know America has more nuclear reactors than anywhere else in the world. France has more proportionally. We have the most, we've had the most in absolute terms. And what you see starting in that period is the cost goes up something like 10 times. So this should be very odd because when you have a new technology and all the raw materials aren't changing that much in price, you would expect the cost to go down, <clears throat> right? As you become more efficient. I mean, you look at what happens with microprocessors and, you know, any kind of consumer electronics, these, these small scale things, they go down in price and nuclear has gone up in price. This should be, this should be just an obsession, by the way, of our politicians. If they want to investigate things, they should be investigating what happened to the price of nuclear because it's a real catastrophe. And the way I describe it is it's become regulated to the point of virtual criminalization, which just means that everything you want to do with nuclear is, in, is incredibly hard. And so you know, the main thing is delays. When if you think about Michelle, like, hey, I've got a nuclear project for you to invest in. Like, do you want to invest $50,000 in this nuclear project? Well, a huge amount of that depends on how long it takes sure. the project to get completed. Right. And so what happens is you've gone from a four-year timetable to a 16-year timetable and a timetable in which the thing can be canceled. There have been many plants that have just gotten canceled. At Why the do end. they get canceled? Um, well, it can be two things. One is there can just be so many cost overruns they decide to withdraw, but also it can be that they don't um, – they just there. You have an anti-nuclear person. I believe this happened with uh, Cuomo, Mario Cuomo, in New York. I think they had invested something like five billion dollars. I'd have to get the exact numbers, but yeah, they can just be canceled because there's a big anti-nuclear movement, and the anti-nuclear movement is the root of the criminalization. You have all these organizations like the Union of Concerned Scientists, Greenpeace, Sierra Club. They're against nuclear as such, 
And so they do everything they can to sue these plants to claim false dangers. And that's a big aspect of the delay as well as the lawsuit. So it's, it's these anti-nuclear groups that, by the way, claim to care about clean energy and lowering yeah. CO2 that are the biggest enemy. Well, this is what's so fascinating to me. And I remember Michael Schellenberger, who who grew up again in California, environmentalist, green guy, and and had this epiphany about nuclear, that this is the cleanest, safest. But everyone thinks of Chernobyl. Everyone thinks of Three Mile Island, the disasters that happen. And they, God forbid, an accident happen again. How comfortable or confident are you that what happened in the past can be avoided? Well, if you look at what happened in the past, so Chernobyl is a unique case because it's the only one where people have actually been killed by radiation. And and what the reactor used in, in uh, Chernobyl was sort of like a half n- nuclear plant, half weapon that was never considered in the free part of the world and would never be allowed. So you can just think of it as a as a totally different technology. So that's that kind of a one-off used. then in, in a way. It's a one-off, but also yeah. the death count is not – like even if you factor that in, the death count from nuclear uh, is far, far lower than any other technology. So – no form of energy is perfectly safe, but nuclear is by far, by far the safest. And the basic reason is because it cannot explode. Um, the basic reason, at least in terms of neighbors, in terms of producing it, it's because it's very compact. So you don't have to do as much mining as you do for coal or for the elements and solar panels and wind turbines. But yeah, the basic thing is nuclear doesn't explode. What can happen under very, very rare circumstances is it can melt down, but you have tons of time to deal with it. If a hydroelectric dam breaks, you have no time. That can wipe out 100,000 people. Like fossil fuel-based plants can catch fire. Even wind turbines can catch fire. Solar panels can catch fire. It's totally different than a nuclear plant. So the way people put it is, this is the way I put it. People will say to me, hey, Alex, like, okay, you advocate nuclear. You're such a big advocate of nuclear, but you would never live near a nuclear power plant. And I say I would live next to one because it's mm-hmm. far safer than the thing I, I live next to now, which is a street. <laughs> well, that that puts it pretty, pretty bluntly and pretty plainly for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think that you, you raise a great point in the fact that the prices to produce nuclear have gone up, that it's become more costly. And maybe that is I think that is something worth looking into, because, again, the, the source of energy, it could answer so many issues for people. But. Like so many problems in Washington, I'm not sure people really want solutions. I think they like to have these things to fight over and fundraise against. I mean, that's... I, I think that's, some do. I think some do. I, You're right. Not all. And we're very... I'm I'm as guilty as anyone of painting with a broad brush, and I should not do that. But um, this is... If we're really going to be so phobic of climate change, we really ought to look at all solutions you know, you mentioned machines prior and, and how they've advanced culture and society. And, and we're looking now at gas stove bans. And I can remember uh, when President Obama was in office, he would talk about, hey, look, you just take your jacket off, roll up your sleeves. You don't need an air conditioner. Well, tell that to my 92 year old mom who lives in Southern California, that she should not have air conditioning when it's extremely hot. It's this idea that these improvements in life, in, in, whether it's a, a gas stove or a refrigerator, you know, like what was it John Kerry or was it Biden who said that refrigerators are, are bad? And, you know, now we have this sort of attack on things that make life really good for people. Where is this? Is this all coming from that from that climate religion? 
Well, the, the example of your mom, I think, is really telling because it's the broader narrative, particularly when it gets hot. When it gets hot or when we have wildfires, the narrative is, oh, let's just stop using fossil fuels. That's the, <laughs> that's the solution. But wait yeah. a second. No, no. If we stop using fossil fuels, it's not going to get measurably cooler anytime soon. And your mom is just not going to have air conditioning, right? So it's a mortal threat to her. But this is the broader thing. This applies to everyone in the world, right? Without fossil fuels, or a comparably cost-effective source of energy, there are 3 billion people today who use less electricity than a typical American refrigerator. They're not going to get it. So the biggest problem people have is lack of energy, not the specific climate they live in. You, we, in America, we've proven you can have every climate imaginable mm -hmm. and thrive in it if you have sufficient wealth, especially energy. But if you don't, you can't deal with any climate. So it's what it really shows, I think, is that the focus on the, the climate religion, as you call it, I think it's a good term, their focus on concern for human beings being harmed by climate is phony. Because notice they only care about that when it advances their agenda of opposing fossil fuels, but they never care about, hey, all the people who are dying of floods that could be prevented if we had good infrastructure that we built up using fossil fuels, or the people who die of heat that could be saved with air conditioning. They certainly don't care about the far greater number of people who die of cold than of heat, who need fossil fuels to keep warm. Even that's extended to Europe now, which has regressed into primitivism because of these so-called green policies. So my, my overall analysis in, the, in Fossil Future, specifically chapter three, is that the climate movement its goal is not advancing human flourishing on earth, including keeping us safe from climate, because then they would be obsessed with energy. Their goal is eliminating our impact on earth, specifically on climate. They, they believe that the earth and climate are perfect without us and that any impact we have is evil and should be minimized or eliminated. And I think it's that religion that is, that is guiding the world. You can think of it as their, their commandment is thou shalt not impact climate or that shall, thou shalt not impact earth. And the whole focus, I think this will clarify a lot for people, is just getting rid of impact. Our whole, our whole obsession with the society is how do we stop impacting climate? It's not how do we empower the world. It's not how do we make 8 billion people flourish. It's how do we stop impacting climate? And that is an anti-human goal. Your whole focus is how do we stop doing something versus how do we make life good? And, and it's, it's the wrong philosophy that's causing this. Bef I, I would love to end on that note, but I have to ask you this before we go. How you're, you've kind of got a movement here that you, you seem to be at the vanguard of, which is this, I want people to flourish. I want human flourishing mm. worldwide, and that's going to require fossil fuels. And then there's this climate agenda on the other side. How badly is your side losing or are you gaining ground if, if I could put it in, in, in that kind of, you know, terminology? Well, I think we're, we're definitely gaining ground. I mean, the other side is unfortunately they're, they're gaining ground in different ways as well. But I think like, when I started this, I, I got into this 16 years ago. Now I started researching this and I, and I started forming my views pretty early on. And even when I wrote the book, the moral case for fossil fuels in 2014, I was pretty much a voice in the wilderness. I mean, almost nobody was saying this. Nobody from the industry, almost, uh, you know, nobody else. I mean, even Michael Schellenberger is a friend of mine is a great example. Like he wasn't really pro fossil fuels back in 2014. He was pro nuclear. So we were aligned on that, but he was quite hostile toward fossil fuels. And he really changed his views on that, including climate catastrophism. I think there are other people who have emerged like Bjorn Lomborg, Steve Koonin, 
um, Mark Mills, and and they not to say I've I've influenced all of them, but it's just it's been really cool to see what I call the rise of energy humanism, which is we think of energy from this human flourishing perspective versus this hostility toward all human impact perspectives. I think we that's been really cool to see, and and for me, what I think. Uh, what makes me optimistic is one is I've been able to create the resources that I wish I had at the beginning. Like at the beginning, I didn't know how to argue any of this. I didn't know how to debate people. I've debated a lot of people. I learned a lot. But now what I've created is not only Fossil Future, which is kind of the comprehensive guide. There's a website I created called energytalkingpoints.com, which is totally free. You can go there. You can search any issue you can imagine. And it gives a perfect talking point, in my view, with references. And so what this is doing is this is arming anyone who's interested in this issue. You can be a citizen. You can be a politician. A lot of politicians use it. And you can have the best arguments. You can be at a dinner table. And what they've now started doing, one person on their own made chat ETP, so chat energy talking points, where they just took my talking points and made a chat app like OpenAI's. I actually have one of my own that I've been developing, but it, it just shows the resources that are available now are so much better. And if we have three really good resources, these can scale. The other thing is people are waking up because of the global energy crisis. People like the idea of green energy policies in theory, opposing fossil fuels in theory. But when you see Europe at the mercy of Russia yeah. because of fossil fuels, you see Americans paying higher prices. Mm -hmm. uh, people, and, and you see, I mean, if you look at the third world, it's much, much worse in terms of them not being able to afford power because they're being outbid by Europe and by us. People are really waking up to an energy crisis is real. The climate crisis is at best a huge exaggeration. And I think that we have this moment to challenge the narrative. And I've tried to create the resources to help people challenge the narrative. So it's exciting to see that work. And even the politicians have improved a lot. I work with a lot of them now. And I think energy talking points in this messaging has, has helped a lot. Uh, we've I've gained a lot just in this short conversation. I'm going to continue to read your stuff and the talking. I, I discovered the talking points website earlier and, and have enjoyed that as well. And I, I highly recommend that we will direct people to it and uh, hopefully have you back again. Alex Epstein, what a pleasure to talk to you. I, yeah. I, I, I admire your your courage to stand on what is something you really believe. And in, in the face of many who'd like to just bring you down, this is this is a, a moment in America for more and more people, no matter what their views are, to stand on courage and, and, and their beliefs and values. Well, it's, it's very exciting for me because I've, I've heard you since I was a kid um, ah, on the sidelines. I'm ancient, and yep. I, and I just have to say one, one experience I've had during this interview is because I just said, oh, wow, this is what a real broadcaster is like, because you're just so smooth with the transitions and adapting to it. It reminds me of Bob Costas. And so it's like, oh, yeah, we, there's all of us who do our own little podcast, but this is this is a real person. So that's, oh, that's been very Oh, my goodness. Fun that that is experience. such flattery. To be compared with my friend Bob Costas, wow, that's something. Alex, thank you so much. Uh, again, the book Fossil Future, Why Global Human Flourishing – requires more oil, coal, and natural gas, not less. He's also written The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. Fossil Fuels Improve the Planet. There it is, Fossil Future. Get your copy. And uh, Alex, thanks. We'll do it again. I really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for listening thanks, to Michelle. Sideline Sanity. And, you know, find your, your moral compass and be brave about it and do good with it. Thanks for listening.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.